On today's show, a wild NBA trade deadline is in the book, so we get together and take stock of what's a new-look NBA and break down every big trade at the deadline and decide if there should be new favorites for the championship. All of that and much more on today's Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On NBA Friday. I'm Wes Goldberg, joined by Adam Maras, and we come to you every Friday here on the Locked On NBA feed, however you might be tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We're here to recap a wild trade deadline that saw something like 20-something deals get done, Adam. Um, I, I think we just got to go through all of them and just break all the big ones down. The biggest one still is is the one that occurred in the witching hour uh, of yep. Wednesday night, Thursday mornings that saw Kevin Durant go from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for four unprotected first-round picks, a pick swap, Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder. Uh, the Nets later flipped Jay Crowder to the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll get to that here in a second, too. But um, just your thoughts on, on on when you saw that Kevin Durant had gotten traded to the Phoenix Suns and how this changes things in the West. I mean, it changes everything. This is a big move. Kevin Durant's one of the best players in the NBA. He has an argument for the best player. I don't think you many people are making that argument right now, but they might be when the playoffs roll around, depending on what the Phoenix Suns do. Uh, it's a big move. I actually think, despite the fact that this is a no-brainer move for the Phoenix Suns, that it's actually a trade of good value for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they get four unprotected first-round picks that extend, by the way, for the majority of the upcoming decade. So this is a thing that will be paying dividends long after the Kevin Durant era in Phoenix expires. But then they also get two players who are extremely valuable in Mikhail Bridges and Cam, uh, and Cam Johnson. Now, are they valuable to the Brooklyn Nets? We'll see. We'll see how long those guys are there. But even if they are not, we are seeing the type of draft capital that is expected for 3 and D type players. They fit the mold of both. Both of those guys fit the mold of that. So I think it's good return. But uh, despite the fact that Phoenix had to pay a hefty price, you get to pair Devin Booker, a top 15 player in the NBA, with Kevin Durant, a top five player in the NBA, to yeah, go with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, who are phenomenal. It's a great trade. They didn't have to get rid of any of their three best players. I mean, you know, maybe people would have put Mikhail Bridges over DeAndre Ayton, but that's splitting hairs. They didn't have to get rid of anybody. I mean, this this feels yeah. like... Uh, I mean, they got look. They got rid of Mikel Bridges. They got rid of Cam Johnson. Those definitely hurt, and they had to. And they were huge pieces. They huge, were huge pieces, and and look, they they lost all their draft picks. And you know, this is a classic new owner, Matt Ishba, reportedly telling James Jones, the general manager there, in the middle of the night, called him at like 11 p.m. and said, "I don't care. Just get the deal done. Give them whatever they want." Because there's a new owner, and he wants to bring in Kevin Durant. It, it's pretty uh, important that he even got control of the team before the deadline from Robert Sarver to make this deal done because. We didn't know that that was going to be the case, right? When, when yeah. this sale initially went through, and boy, did that decision have a a, a, a huge groundswell effect on, on what it looked, on what the NBA looks like now. Um, in terms of the Brooklyn Nets, they they kind of are now Utah Jazz East in that they they sold off all their their top players, uh, got whatever they could in terms of draft capital. But not only did they get all the draft capital, they're, they've now gotten good young players that they could flip down the line, too. They already just did it with Jay Crowder. They got five second-round picks for him. People might just be like, who cares about a se second-round picks? Whatever. I mean, five is a lot of second-round picks. That's a right. lot. Of so right. that's good stuff there. 
Um, and, and they're just going to keep doing it. And they're probably going to, you know, obviously they'll explore all that in the offseason. But now they have a full, uh, you know, half of the season here, a little bit less than that to kind of see, all right, who's sort of core pieces, who's not. And then who want and then we can sort of revisit trades in the offseason when teams are looking to bolster their own rosters. So uh, it's good for the it, it's it's good for the Nets. I'm sure they would prefer that the, the Durant, Harden, Kyrie Irving thing worked out. Right. But in terms of an alternative. This, this they're way better off he, uh, now than where they were at the end of like the KG Paul Pierce experiment. Right. So, I mean, if, if we spend just a second here on the nets, them not owning their own pick and now have that being the pick swaps with Houston is a weird wrinkle in all this, because yeah. you might be inclined to say, just tear it down. It's time to tank, you know, whatever, but they're actually de-incentivized to do that because of their previous moves to get James, you know, to the, the, the Harden move and some yep. of the other deals. So I, Look at it now, and I think they do have these players that have more value to them, in my opinion, uh, if you start to rebuild. Unless you get a star that we don't foresee going to Brooklyn, then that I do think that they have a very busy summer and will probably get a lot of draft capital and yeah. future assets for the players on the roster. Um, but they are also in limbo mode right now. They might still be a playoff team by the time this is all said and done in the Eastern Conference, just based on the amount of wing depth yeah. they have and, and good players they have. So they're still good. I think if this trade request from Kevin Durant would have come sooner, if all of this would have popped, you know, fallen off sooner, maybe they would have handled everything a little bit differently. Um, but we got to go back. Have, well, they have a pretty good cushion just to finish that thought, though. They're six and a half games out from number one. They're not going to get that in the Eastern Conference, yep. but they have basically a six, seven game lead uh, before they're even falling out of the play in tournament. So there's enough of a cushion right. where even if they just go 500 or maybe even worse, Right. the rest of the year they'll probably at least be in the play-in tournament uh, right. but yeah go back to the suns but we got to go back to the suns yeah because the story really is about them i mean they are 30 and 26 right now kevin durant is still out you know with his knee injury and won't be back till after the all-star break and who knows maybe not even immediately after the all-star break the biggest thing that this trade did was it you know they lost their depth you lose two starters you get one back albeit a phenomenal one but if they're going to be without him, I'm just so curious to see what happens with Phoenix the rest of the year. The season's sneaky. There's only, what, 25 games left? It's, it's We're closer to the end than, the, the, than people realize. How high can they climb in the standings, especially when we know KD will miss time and we know any injury to any of their starting players will leave them pretty thin? That'll be an interesting thing to kind of monitor. I wouldn't be surprised if they were the three seed in the Western Conference when it was all said and done. I also wouldn't be surprised if they were a play-in team albeit extremely likely to win in the play-in. But I w- it just it's another wrinkle here that we might be looking at teams like the Warriors who are without Steph, the Lakers who just retooled, and the Suns all being in the play-in. Uh, it, it, it's just a little bit more likely than I think anybody would have anticipated. Um, getting TJ Warren back in that deal was really big for their depth, right? You get a forward that's probably going to come off the bench. I would imagine it's Torrey Craig that starts the three for them, Kevin Durant at the oh. four. TJ Warren comes off the bench as sort of your sixth man. Damian Lee's been really good for them this year. Uh, they've got guys, you know. Uh, they maybe they maybe there's something that they could do on the buyout market. We'll see. Certainly, Matt Ishbia is sure. not afraid to to spend money here. So that's another thing to look out for. But it will come down to health, right? Like we're not breaking news. Like Kevin Durant is 34 years old. Chris Paul has his uh, history of injuries in, in, in the postseason too. But now, where and we already saw this at the beginning of the year. If one or Chris Paul or Devin Booker go down, doesn't really matter what the Suns have. Even with Mikal Bridges, I know Cam Johnson missed a bunch of time too, but without one of those guys, they kind of just don't really have anything, and 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 things tend to fall apart. But now that you have three legit stars here and guys who can run offense through, um, 
if one of them goes down, you could still feasibly have a good offense. You know, if Chris Paul gets hurt, you still have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. That's a pretty good offense, no matter what. So um, we'll see what happens here. But uh, is, is this in your mind? You know, you cover the Denver Nuggets; they're number one right now in the in the Western Conference. Does this at least, just from a roster construction standpoint, we'll see what happens with the records shake out at the end of the year? But are Phoenix right there now with Denver as the number one team in the West? Um, I think they're the number one team by themselves. I mean, they've got this this move to me makes them the favorites, not just because on FanDuel right now they are the favorites to come out of the West, like Vegas yeah. has them that way. But I think that you just have to look at a team ceiling. And as thin as they are, they do have mid-range scoring and one-on-one scoring, which in the playoffs becomes so increasingly increasingly valuable. And in particular in the clutch, if you're able to be able to get to your spot at the elbow and, and elevate and get a 60% jumper off well they've got three guys that are the best in the nba maybe number one two and three at getting to those specific spots kevin durant chris paul and devin booker maybe in that order and it's just so hard with the way that the nba is designed right now to take away the paint take away the three-point line when you get into the clutch and you have guys that are just so efficient from those spots it makes it almost impossible to guard the one thing i'll say though who what are the division of responsibilities going to be because one thing about Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges is it was very clear what their roles were, and yeah. they were very happy to do them. I think that there's always some player who has to take a back seat offensively, or at least a second, you know, sit in the passenger seat uh, offensively, and maybe up the defensive responsibilities a little bit more. And you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out over the course of a playoff run. The two guys we're looking at, right? Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul, this is part of why you make that trade. It kind of felt like he was going into another stage of his career here. So you get Kevin Durant in there to the scoring. But Chris Paul, at least what he could do is like a communicator on defense and things like that is important. And then DeAndre Ayton's got to be okay with just sort of being a roll and cut big who protects the basket, which is, you know, you hear reports around that team. That's kind of been the knock on him. Um, All right. We got another huge deal affecting another big time uh, Western Conference team, the Los Angeles Lakers. Maybe you've heard of them. We'll talk about whether or not getting D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley changes things. Uh, Did they save their season with this trade? That's coming up next here on Locked On NBA. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think that you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions that they forgot about, like that streaming service that you bought just to watch that one show or that free trial that you never even used and forgot about. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify the subscri- your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones that you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and then press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service agents or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person over $720 a year. So stop throwing away your money, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. Rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. Let's talk about the Lakers. Um, All right, let's just break down the deal here. They get D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt in a three-way deal that included the Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz. 
Uh, the Timberwolves get Mike Conley, so they get the point guard upgrade, the sort of adult point guard, kind of traditional point guard that they had been reportedly looking for. They get a couple of second-round picks coming from different places. And then the Jazz get Russell Westbrook in exchange for all that salary. Uh, Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones in there as well. Plus a 2027 first-round pick from the Lakers with top four protections. Uh, the Jazz are expected to, to buy out Russell Westbrook, and Westbrook will do the buyout thing. Uh, here in the next few days. But in terms of the Lakers, you got D'Angelo Russell now as as the point guard. Malik Beasley, a shot maker who will either start or come off the bench for them. Jared Vanderbilt, high energy rebounder, wing big man, defender kind of guy, versatile, the kind of player that you want next to LeBron James. I, I think universally speaking, I, I've seen nothing but praise for getting Beasley and Vanderbilt in terms of fits next to Anthony Davis and LeBron. But people have been sort of you know, either in or out on D'Angelo Russell in terms of his fit on the Lakers as a point guard. Where do you land on this? I mean, where I land on it is that the Lakers were drawing dead. I mean, they had where they were prior to this move was a 0% chance of winning in the playoffs. I mean, even with LeBron and Anthony Davis, that team just wasn't doing it. So any move, you know, almost any move was going to put them in the positive direction. And then you look at what does D'Angelo Russell do well? Shoot the ball. I, I mean, he passes well. He does some other stuff, but really shoot the basketball. Malik Beasley, same thing. A perfect tailor-made LeBron James floor spacer in that he's got a quick trigger, a confident uh, shot, meaning he's not going to record scratch when you get him a kick out to the corner or a kick out to the wing. He's going to shoot it, and he's going to make a lot of them. And then Jared Vanderbilt, who's another role player guy. So to me, does this make them title contenders? I think no way. I don't think they're a title contender realistically this year. But are they now drawing dead in a way that I think they were last week? Absolutely not. And if they are a team that can climb into the play-in, which I think is at this moment looks like their ceiling, they they could be an upset, a first-round upset team. They might even be a second-round upset team. So I have a hard time buying four playoff series wins. But they're certainly a team that could get the right matchup and 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 make some hay in the playoffs. Their top nine to ten makes sense to me now. Right, like really, yeah, at least a little bit. That's like D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell, he's a thirty-nine percent. He's shooting thirty-nine percent from three. Um, also, will let it fly from three-point range, and he'll let it fly from thirty feet out sometimes. Sometimes for better or worse, but he'll do it. Um, you need that spacing, and like that stuff makes sense to me. But if you've got, for example, it's D'Angelo Russell, and then you know maybe it's Schroeder or Malik Beasley as the two guard. The other one comes off the bench as sort of a sixth man. LeBron. Uh, do you have Vanderbilt starting? Is it still Rui Hachimura? We'll see. I guess a little toggle between those two or experiment. And then Anthony Davis should also mention that they traded Patrick uh, Beverly to Orlando for Mo Bamba um, to right. be their backup center. So they've got him coming off the bench too. Um, and so no longer Thomas Bryant, but we'll get to that. Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, those guys coming off the bench. Like that's a top. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I mentioned Dennis Schroeder, but he's there too. Um, and he's been good for them this year. So that's like a top nine to 10 that I don't know that competes with like the Nuggets and the, and the Suns and yeah. all these other teams, but it makes sense to me. Like I, I could see like those are NBA players, right? Mm-hmm. Like gone are the days of like Troy Brown Jr. starting now for the for the Los Angeles Lakers, and that's an improvement. Like, right? Not to <laughs> go too hard on Troy Brown Jr., but the difference between him and somebody like Jaron Vanderbilt is a big one, right? Like a fringe ro- NBA player versus a solid rotation player is a big difference, and so they've finally just done that across the spectrum of their depth chart, which I think is important. Um, It's hard for me, though, I'll say this, Wes. It's hard for me to think that as good as this trade is in terms of making them better, there's something else that just seems to be wrong. Like that Lakers team, 
Anthony Davis in particular that was weird. may have just expired with LeBron. Like sometimes there's a there's a shelf life and then things expire. And I'm not sure, but they're a team that to me, after the trade deadline in, or after the All-Star break in particular, the first two or three weeks I think are going to be very important for us seeing, is that a team that wants it? Are they a team that actually is going to come together and try to make a run? And I'm not sure the answer is going to be yes. We'll have to wait and see. There's two stars now, despite what D'Angelo Russell thinks about himself. There's two stars now with the Lakers. Um, Russell Westbrook's gone, um, and he is a sort of he gets treated like a star with all the attention and stuff like that. In that he was basically the fall guy for the entire first half of the season. When it wasn't going right, it was Russell Westbrook's fault. And and you know, generally speaking here, but that's kind of what it felt like. He's gone now. Your scapegoat's gone. And so if this if this these next 25 games don't go right for the Lakers and they still miss the play in tournament or the playoffs, um, then you're kind of looking around. And it's like, OK, is it LeBron's fault or is it Anthony Davis's right. fault? And LeBron, he's well, obviously can't be traded this year, but if maybe he asks for a trade in the summer or the only the alternative there is if you want to make huge sweeping changes to this team is, yeah, maybe you can open up some cap space here and go for Kyrie Irving in the summer. That's a whole other thing. But. Maybe then you explore the Anthony Davis thing. That's because that's really the only other way to make some sort of huge sweeping changes because now you only have one of these future picks available too. So that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of where they're at, in, you mentioned you know their chances of getting in the playoffs. Uh, they're two games behind Portland now for the 10 seed, that final spot in the play-in tournament. The Warriors are nine, Minnesota's eight, New Orleans is seven. Um, New Orleans made a small move that we'll get to here. Uh, uh, and, and things like that. But I think the Lakers could feasibly climb up into the play in tournament. I, I don't know. They're right now. What? It, it helps that there's two teams immediately above them in Utah and Portland that appear to be yeah. in Utah's case, throwing in the towel in Portland's case, not getting better, yeah. which is kind of feels like throwing in the towel. So the teams that are ahead of them, Oklahoma city. Okay. They're tough. Utah and Portland. I just, nobody got better the way they got better. Um, Quickly, the Timberwolves getting Mike Conley in there uh, didn't feel like they really had to part with a whole lot other than a couple of second rounders and you upgrade from D'Angelo Russell to Mike Conley. What do you think about that fit? I actually like it. I mean, there was clearly something off with when everybody was healthy out there. Mike Conley's a leader. You saw the way the Utah Jazz players were talking about him. Yeah. You know, they were not happy with the fact that he wouldn't be there. And I think Minnesota needed a leader. They needed somebody to come in and try to steady things. I don't love it for them long term because you've got Conley and Rudy Gobert who both feel like they're on the downside of their career. Certainly Mike Conley, but maybe Gobert as well. But I do think that this provides a little bit of clarity in terms of what direction they're trying to go. So uh, a strange trade. I think you've got the lesser player in the trade, but maybe the better fit. Uh, yeah. And I think it'll be good for them this year. Yeah, they needed a, a change at that point guard spot. It just felt like the D'Angelo Russell thing has run had run its course. And then Conley was really missed by the Jazz when he was hurt, and they went on that long losing streak. And then he came back, and they started winning a, a few more games again. So there's something about him like he just he just kind of gets people in order, and, and that's literally what the Timberwolves were out there looking for. So that's good. Um, and, and then in terms of the the Jazz. A little strange that, you know, they're out there. We want a first-round pick for Vanderbilt. We want a first-round pick for Malik Beasley. We want a first-round pick for Mike Conley. Well, they trade all three of them, and they get one first-round pick. Now, okay. it's a good first-round pick. It's top four protected from the Lakers. I know people have been wanting the unprotected picks from the Lakers, but top four is pretty light protections anyway. Um, so you get a you get a good first-round pick out of it, and, and based on all the reporting around it, it never really sounded like they were going to get a first-round pick for all those guys. And it really felt like that market was out there for Utah. So... They get one pick, and, and then they get the rights to buy out Russell Westbrook, which is always fun. Right. 
It does, though, feel like a team that Utah for a while early on in the year was the number one seed, the, the feel-good story. They're now below 500. They're the 11th seed. They're outside the play-in. And then a move like this makes it sound like they're content to miss the playoffs this year if that should happen. We're going to speed round the rest of the deals that happened uh, in the last couple hours before the trade deadline here on Locked On NBA. And then we'll talk about whether or not we have a new number one team in the NBA. But first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. This year, the only app that you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because of the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you could bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get the $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who's going to score a touchdown. The Super Bowl means prop bets, so if you think Philadelphia's A.J. Brown is going to score the first touchdown of the Super Bowl, you could bet on that. If you think Travis Kelsey is going to have more than seven catches, you could bet on that all at FanDuel. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, for making Lockdown NBA your first listen every day. All right, let's speed round through some of these other deals that came down uh, right before the deadline. Um, let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, who got uh, Josh Richardson from the San Antonio Spurs. The Pelicans has kind of felt like they were softly out there poking and prodding for sort of for a three and D wing, a guy that they could run in maybe a closing five and things like that. Josh Richardson's name has been out there. It feels like every year. What do you think about Josh Richardson in New Orleans as one of these smaller deals in the West? New Orleans just has so many wings, and they add another one here. I mean, they just have a lot of guys that fit that 6'5 to 6'9 profile, and they get another one. I kind of like it. I think in today's NBA, you can use a bunch of those. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much this moves the needles for New Orleans other than it just being another like uh, another good piece. But they're going to have a logjam. I mean, they have you know Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones, you know, Najee Martin. They have a lot of guys that I think you could play. So it'll be interesting to see whose minutes end up getting cut. Um, they move four second round picks to get them, but they also get off the Devontae Graham deal, which was money that they reportedly wanted to get off of. So all that's good. And Josh Richardson's playable. He's easy to kind of fit things around. I don't mind it. Uh, let's talk about the Clippers who made sort of a series of different moves. They get Reg- They send Reggie Jackson to Charlotte to get Mason Plumley, who's going to be their backup center. Luke Kennard um, goes to the Grizzlies in a three-way deal that gets them Eric Gordon. And then they get Bones Highland from denver so the clippers were out there hey maybe we're a fred van vliet team kind of looking at kyle lowry mike conley all these and instead of doing that they it feels like they just sort of uh addressed this need by committee with with three you know solid rotation players but does this move the needle enough in the wake of the kevin durant trade um i mean comparing it to kevin durant no but i think you really what you have to look at don't tell bones highland that by the way yeah. What you have to look at with this Clippers team is that they have survived this weird first 50 games of the season with Kawhi not playing very much. He's now looking as good as he has, you know, in two, three seasons. He's really started to come on lately. I think the Bones move is an interesting one. It's more of a flyer. We'll see if he ends up playing this year or not. But he's a talented player that could, could you know, maybe in change of environment really opens up his game. 
Eric Gordon's a very good player. We haven't seen a lot of him because he's been in Houston. Uh, you know, weird circumstance there, but he's a good player. I think the, the, the Clippers got a little bit better. It, it's going to be lost in the noise of the Kevin Durant move. But to me, I look at them and I go, yeah, they just have a lot of pieces still. And, and the players they gave up, I feel like they replaced them with new pieces. Um. Yeah, Eric Gordon's a good player for them. I get. I, I. I don't know. I. I don't know that like, Plumlee's an option for them as a backup center. He probably is not going to be an every night guy, especially in the playoffs. But he's he's at least an option for them, um, where they didn't really have a backup option behind Zubac and and yeah, I guess Bones is a flyer for them, and and we'll see how much playing time he gets. But I don't know. I don't know that that this is really sort of like when you were kind of going in there thinking about a starting like traditional kind of point guard who can kind of table set. And, and get Kawhi and Paul George off the ball a little bit more, which is apparently what they wanted. I don't think they did that, but they they added some decent players here. They just it just feels like they have more decent players. The Clippers had a bunch of decent players, and then they have more decent players around Kawhi and PG. Um, let's talk about the Warriors. They traded James Wiseman to the Pistons for Sadiq Bay, but did not keep Sadiq Bay. Although to me that was an ideal fit and made a ton of sense. Instead, they sent Bay to Atlanta, got a ton of uh, second round picks back, and then they used all that stuff to go ahead and bring back their friend Gary Payton II from Portland. Portland no longer needed Gary Payton II because they went ahead and acquired Matisse Teibel from the Philadelphia 76ers. So a bunch of names and a bunch of picks, changing hands and a bunch of stuff, but let's talk about the Warriors uh, giving up on their number two pick for essentially a bunch of second-round picks that, that became a player that they had last year, right, that they let just walk away. <laughs> right. So this is a total give-up well, on James Wiseman by the Warriors. Well, yes, but they did save $30 million. I mean, it is worth noting that somehow letting Gary Payton go and then bringing him back in this, this specific way saved them money, which is weird. But you are right. I mean, look, is there a bigger failure than James Wiseman being in the NBA for three seasons and going from the number two pick to second round, a collection of second round picks? That is a hell of a like a loss on investment from a number two overall pick, no matter how you slice it. Nonetheless, if you ask me, are the Warriors better right now than they were four hours ago? My answer unequivocally is yes. Gary Payton is not a guy that fits every situation, but we know he fits the Golden State Warriors situation. So he is a guy that now adds another player to their playoff rotation. I think they have seven players they can fully trust. Dante DiVincenzo being the other guy off the bench that, that to me. Actually, Jordan Poole as well. I'm going to give him eight guys. They have eight guys that I think you can trust in the playoffs. That might be all you need. So I think this was a good move for the Warriors. Um, I'm all right. They didn't address the backup center spot. That I know Jermichael Green has been playing better for them, um, and, oh. but that's not really going to be the answer there long term. They've experimented with starting Draymond at the five and bringing Kevon Looney off the bench and kind of addressing their center spot that way. I mean, that's ultimately what they do in the playoffs anyway, so that's okay. But I, I don't know. I thought I thought last year they really caught lightning in a bottle with not just Otto Porter being healthy for them but also Gary Payton being healthy. And that's the thing this year. Gary Payton has not been healthy. And that's what kind of kept him out of the NBA for a long time in the first place. So I don't know that you can count on him to be healthy. So that's where I'm at here. It just it just sort of felt like, this sort of felt like meh to me by the Warriors. And, and I don't really know that this moves the needle for me, for them uh, all that much, because they still haven't addressed that thing that they need, which to me was a guy who could, was a big wing, who can kind of toggle between the three and the four the way that Otto Porter did. I thought that they basically, maybe they think Kaminga is going to be that. I just, I haven't gotten to the point where I trust Kaminga in big spots, but maybe, maybe they feel like they have no other thing in terms of Wiseman. Good for him. Honestly, like 
I don't I, I don't blame the Warriors for not playing playing him. They're they're a team trying to win a championship, and he just clearly wasn't ready and never got the reps, and it was just hard to throw him in there. He's gonna get reps in Detroit. Apparently, they like had him really high in their draft board when he was coming out in 2020. So I think this is a good move for James Wiseman and a change of scenery will be good for him. And we'll see. We'll see what happens with the rest of his career because we know it was going nowhere in Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have a lot of hope for James Wiseman, but at least it's a change of scenery, which was clear from a year ago that it's yeah. what he needed. It was clear maybe two years ago, but very clear. <laughs> I shouldn't ago. have drafted him in the first place. Uh, yeah. That was the problem. Uh, the Bucks got Jay Crowder from the Nets for five second round picks. Does Crowder move the needle for the Bucks at the top of the East? Uh, yes, I, I think, look, he's a good player. He's a playoff caliber player, a championship caliber player, and you just need those guys. So is it specifically to the Bucks? Not necessarily. Although we saw like, you know, he kind of fulfills that PJ Tucker role where he can play a small ball five or guard the other team center. When you start to talk about tooling up for the different teams in the East, well, of course, there's Joel Embiid you have to account for. And I think that the Bucks will find success in the playoffs using Jay Crowder on him and bringing help from the other players on the roster, from uh, your Lopez, from your Giannis. So to me, it absolutely is going to be a very key small move that that could be the difference for them in a, in a tough playoff series. Yeah, I don't know that Crowder was even worth five second round picks, but this is the kind of move you make if, if you're on the cusp, right, of winning a championship. Right. If you have a chance, these are the kinds of moves that, that, that you make. And they have been looking at Jay Crowder for months now. And uh, they get the deal done. And and look, somebody else was offering four second round picks. And Milwaukee came out and they offered five and they got their guy. And that's just what it takes. Maybe it's a slight overpay, but that's what you got to do if you have a chance to win the championship. Um, the Celtics, meanwhile, also at the top of the East, they go ahead and get their guy, Mike Muscala from the Oklahoma City <laughs> Thunder. Plus minus God, Mike Muscala. Put that's some respect right. on his name. Uh, I like this move for the Celtics. Kind of a little bit move. Gave up some picks. Uh, but makes sense uh, behind Al Horford, Robert Williams III. Kind of gives him a little different look. It's fun. Uh, it's fun. I wouldn't describe Mike Muscala as fun. Um, it's funny that they – what's funny is that the Celtics tried to, you know, rest their bigs last game just to see what they needed, and then they ended up making a move for Muscala, despite the fact that they beat the Philadelphia 76ers anyway. Um, but, yes, they bring in a, a guy like that. I don't know if this moves the needle for me as much. I, I I think that this might just be a let's give Robert Williams and Horford some rest over the last two months yeah. before they have a long playoff run. Yeah, the Blake Griffin thing hasn't really worked, and so this is just sort of like another guy to worked give last out. night. That's true, but yeah, but you're right. But you're right. Um, let's talk about your Nuggets. They get Thomas Bryant from the Lakers. Uh, they send Devon Reed over. There's no Bones Highland now in Denver. What does the depth look like? For the Nuggets now, and how does Thomas Bryant change things for them at that backup center spot? So the story of the Nuggets in the Malone era is that they like to play their starters a lot of minutes, more than just about anybody in the NBA, which means they play their no starters lineups more than anybody in the NBA. And this year, those those lineups have been particularly uh, bad. A lot of that is perhaps because of Bones Highland, who's had a pretty bad year, down year, missing his shots, not being a very impactful defensively. But some of that, I think, is that they could use a real presence inside. They brought in DeAndre Jordan, I think, more to be a locker room presence. And as the season has gone on, he's played less and less. They've tried Zeke Naji, who's more of a power forward, but they've tried him at the five. I think Thomas Bryant solidifies a second unit now that will have an identity. They're going to want him to score. They're going to want him to play big. Uh, and I think they hope that he'll save their bench unit. I'm optimistic that that will be the case. Um, it's a small move. He's probably gone in the offseason. He's on an expiring deal. 
but uh, you know, it's a, uh, I think it's a slight upgrade for Denver in an area that they needed, albeit one that'll be much more important in the regular season than the playoffs. And don't think that we forgot about you, Toronto. We were just saving the best for last. Yaka Pirtle back home for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they send Kem Birch in a protected 2024 first round pick uh, and a couple of second rounders over to the Spurs. Yaka Pirtle ends up back in Toronto and they get their center. So the big story here, not just Yaka Pirtle, is that they did not trade OG and Anabi. They did not trade Fred Van Vliet. They did not trade Pascal Siakam. They added, um, we had heard this entire time, Adam, that, hey, the seven-game trip is going to determine how we approach the deadline. They go four and three on that trip. Had they gone three three and four, I wonder if we just get the opposite of this. Like, I thought maybe, maybe I wonder if they were being, like, super literal about this. Um, it was like a coin flip almost. Uh, but Jacoperto in Toronto, it, it just makes sense. Um, does it make sense? It's funny to me that they were buyers and that they went and got a guy instead of giving players up. I don't know what they're hoping for. Maybe, you know, when the KD news hit, the Kyrie news first and then the KD news hit, I, I do think it changed a lot of plans and maybe no more so than for Toronto who looked at it and thought, well, there's one less contender now in the Eastern Conference. Like how many good teams actually are there? It's funny that the East has been better than the West all year. I think that flipped over the last week. The West now to me looks more dangerous. I don't know if I agree with them being buyers, picking up Jakob Pertl. Is it really going to make enough of a difference for a team that's the 10 seed right now to like give themselves a chance in the playoffs? I don't think so, but um, you know, they held on to some pretty good players that I'm sure we're going to be talking about once again come June and July. Just felt like it was easier for them to not be sellers, right? Like this just felt like an easier route almost. It was like, let's just go get a center and then just play the rest of the season and see what happens. And we've seen them do this before. Like they were going to trade Lowry a couple years ago before the deadline, and then they didn't. And then they just signed and traded him over the offseason, too. So that could still be there for Fred Van Vliet. And, like, I, I guess every team always wants OG and An uh, Ananobi, so I, that, yeah. that demand's not going to go away. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm with you, though. I don't think it materially changes anything. They're so far back right now in the standings that, that they're probably not going to get out of the plan just because of this either. But um, all right, let's just quickly wrap this up here. Um, flurry of moves. It feels like the landscape of the NBA has has changed quite a bit. Uh, the Suns look like a powerhouse now. Um, the Dallas Mavericks getting Kyrie to pair with Luka, that changes a lot of what's going on over there. Uh, you've got contenders adding little bits and pieces here and there. The Brooklyn Nets no longer a factor in terms of the playoffs at the top of the Eastern Conference. Um, do you have a new favorite in the NBA post-NBA trade deadline? I don't. Uh, you know, right now, I think my favorite, well, I, I'll say I do, but not because of the trade deadline. I'm going with the team that's won eight in a row and the team that has been missing one of their key pieces all year, despite having the second best record. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they're the favorite. I think Boston is right there. And then I think Philadelphia, Denver, and I would just add now the Phoenix Suns into that list of teams that is likely to be in the top tier by the time the playoffs roll around. I don't want to just say that I think Suns surpass all those teams because they're really good and proven as well. Very few teams make trades of this caliber at the deadline and it works out that quickly. So I'm not going to say it changed the structure of power. I'm just going to say a new contender has entered the chat. <laughs> I love it. I, I agree with you. I think that's a pretty clear top five too. I don't know that I would add anybody else in there. Now, the Grizzlies might have an issue with that. They added Luke Kennard at the deadline, which is nice. 
Um, but they need to win more than two of their last ten games. Like they, they, they were in that tier for a while on the edges of it, but th- this this last run has taken them out. I agree, um, and I and I, I'm glad you included Philadelphia in there. I know they've lost a couple in a row, uh, but they're seven and three in their last ten. They look awesome. They they just look awesome. Um, I think that would be my that's that's a pretty clear top five group, and I, I also would have no, Milwaukee number one. But th- this stuff literally changes every single week, every almost every single night, and and it feels like it's just going to be those five sort of just trading places for the rest of the year, unless something crazy happens. Cleveland, though, Cleveland, Memphis, um, Dallas, maybe. I mean, Dallas is a mystery. Nobody really knows what to expect. And I think New Orleans is still a mystery as well. Uh, Just because we haven't seen Ingram and Zion, I'm skeptical that it'll work. But, like, that's another team that has played zero games, you know, at full strength so far this season. And the Warriors, you got to throw the Warriors in there. Lastly, the Warriors are are that team that you just – you can never fully count out. I do think this last Curry injury has – they would have been in my top tier prior to this, or at least in the tier with Denver and everybody else. The Curry injury is tough. We're getting late in the season. Like by the time he returns, there's not going to be that much runway for them to kind of coalesce. So um, they're they're in that third tier to me, but I would not be surprised if they make it to the second one by the time the playoffs start. Yeah, they're a team that home court advantage really, really matters to them, evidently based on their home and road record this year. Um, and they're not going to get home court advantage. That's uh, well, they could. I mean, I guess the number four seed is they they're only could. a game and a half out. Yeah, so they still a, could. Yeah, they still could. But Clay's um, playing phenomenal right now. By the yeah. way, I mean Clay is really in his bag. And then I guess I didn't even mention the Clippers here, which uh, to me again would be in that Warriors tier. They're starting to play well as well. They haven't done it long enough to really to really sell me on it, but they have the runway to sort of uh, change my mind. The Clippers have to win the championship for me to be sold on the Clippers experiment at this point. <laughs> like I just I won't trust it. Um, all right, that'll do it for today's Locked On NBA. Your first listen every day. Now make your second listen. Game to game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked on NBA. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Adam, have a great weekend. You as well.